This week on The Perfect Scam. I share a phone plan with my father, and I noticed that there were many phone charges to China. I guess that is reaching out to old friends or something. A week later, my mother calls me and says, something terrible has happened to your father. You need to talk to him right away. I can tell like she's been crying and just super angry. And she is just saying, I can't believe this happened. Welcome back to The Perfect Scam. I'm your host, Bob Sullivan. Have you ever felt like you were an actor in your own play or movie? Or have you ever thought someone should make a movie out of your life? Well, that actually happened to today's guest, Jerry Shu. And I don't want to spoil any of the stories, so I won't say much now, other than if you plan to see the indie film starring Jerry as himself, well, this podcast does include some spoilers. My name is Jerry. I came to America in the 70s. I worked as an engineer for 40 years. I support my family by working hard and save money. But one year after I retired, I received a phone call. That's Jerry, starring as himself in the movie. He's received a phone call, and on the other end of the line is a man who says he's from Jerry's cell phone provider. He says they're calling because the Chinese Shanghai Police Department has accused Jerry of spreading rumors about the Chinese government. They said, uh, hey, Jerry, uh, we're going to shut down your phone in 30 minutes, 20, 30 minutes, because we got a, a request from the Shanghai, Chinese Shanghai Police Department. They said that your name was used for a phone, and that the phone was used to spread the rumors and uh, spread the language against the Chinese uh, government. So they want us to, to investigate. That must be pretty scary. Yeah, they said. That. And, and we got a request from Chinese police department to shut down your cell phone. Wow. He's instantly scared. Jerry lives alone, keeps in touch with his three sons only by cell phone, so the threat to disconnect him is bad enough. But as a Taiwanese-American, a threat from the Chinese government is quite scary. To back up just a little, Jerry immigrated to America and worked for decades as an engineer in the state of Florida. Here's Jerry's son, Jonathan. As an engineer, my father worked for the county. He helped you know, he, the best way that he described it was, you know how it rains all the time in Florida? I make sure all that rainwater gets off the road, doesn't acquire puddles, goes to proper waste removal and gets recycled and reused for lawn care or for drinking. He was very much just like, I'm doing this job to, to raise a family. You know, that was what, that was why he chose that job is he was, he was told you'll always find work as an engineer. So come to America and get a, get a degree in engineering. Jonathan says his dad was always a quiet presence, worried first about providing for the family and rarely so much as bought himself a pair of new shoes. But he was good at saving money. And when Jonathan was accepted to NYU dental school, Jerry was able to support him through that. Then 
when Jonathan decided to switch to NYU film school, well, he supported him through that too. I remember telling him and my and my mother, hey, uh, I'm thinking about changing my major and doing filmmaking. And he said to me, oh, to be an artist, prepared to be poor and alone. <laughs> he didn't say no. <laughs> so I went for it. But that's what he said. And, you know, everything he said was true. Yeah. So, it, you know, it was very much like he was there to support me. But he did say, like, after you graduate, like, you, you are on your own as an artist. But it's Jerry who was alone that day, living in his own apartment, separated from his ex-wife and isolated during COVID. When that phone call comes, accusing him of slandering the Chinese government. The operator tells him to call the Shanghai police right away and gives him a number. Yeah, I called him and this police officer answered the phone. He said, oh, Jerry Xu. And then he repeated my name and uh, I heard a sound the background sounds. You are the suspect. We want to investigate you. They accuse him of laundering money and saying bad things about the Chinese government. None of this is true, but Jerry is even more scared. They said, come back here, we are going to, to investigate you, and talk to you. Jerry has no intention of going to China to be investigated. And as he trades calls with the investigator's office during the next few days, one of the agents says he believes Jerry and feels bad for him and wants to help him clear his name. So he sends Jerry on a mission, a simple mission, just to take photos of his local bank. They had to go get him to go take pictures of like where the security cameras were, when the hours of operation were, what the teller windows looked like. And he went and complied because they said to him, you do this and you're good. When he texts the photos to the investigator, the investigator compliments Jerry on his detective work and tells him, well, if he really wants to clear his name, he needs to do one more thing. Jerry needs to conduct a transaction inside the bank. Police now think the criminal is an imposter and works at Jerry's bank. Jerry agrees to join in on the investigation. Well, now you're now you're a part of the team, part of the mission to take this this evil doer down who's doing this money laundering thing. And so your next step, we have to investigate your funds. So if you could send just a small amount, we'll return it right back to you, send us that amount, and we'll investigate like if it goes through, like which bank account it goes through to. The best way to do that is to send it to this account number. And so they gave him an account number that they said was protected by the Chinese government, and he would get his funds back immediately. The transaction is recreated in the movie. Uh, hi, how can I help you today? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I want the transfer money. All right, well, I can help you right over here. Okay. Just no reason to wait in line, right? <laughs> I'm Matt, by the way. Oh, my name is Jerry. Nice to meet you, Jerry. Okay, so how much money are we transferring today? 25000 25000 that's quite a, quite a bit of money. May I ask uh, why, what, what the transfer is for? Investment. Business, investment. What kind of investment? It's a, it's a real estate, uh, real estate investment. 
Well, congratulations. Uh, After Jerry completes the transaction, again, the investigators compliment his work. They stress that Jerry can't tell anyone about what he's doing, or else he'll ruin two years of investigative work. But now they are sure the criminal is working at Jerry's bank. In fact, it's the man who helped him transfer his money. So they send Jerry back several times to send more and more money. In fact, then they convince him to sell his retirement funds and move them into that bank account and then transfer that money until... Welcome back, Mr. Liu. I see that you are here to make another wire transfer. Uh, how much will we be transferring today? $250,000. $250,000. Yes. That is a significant amount of money. <sighs> I might have to speak with our branch manager. What, what is the purpose of the transfer? That's none of your business. And that $250,000, that's the last of the money Jerry has. And when he calls to report to the Shanghai police that he's finished the last of these transactions, no one answers. The line is dead. Jerry calls frantically for several days, but the police never answer. He comes to realize the police were really actors, criminals. And this movie is all too real. Jerry is not a secret agent working for justice. He's a victim. At this point, he's transferred $980,000, all his retirement money. And now he knows criminals have all his money. But I mean, it's, it's almost a million dollars. That, you, that must, that must like, physically be painful for you. That's my, all my retirement money. I saved the whole my life. To, for my retired life, you know, for my retirement. <laughs> now all, all gone. So many tragic stories of crime end right there. But Jerry's family isn't ordinary. Remember, his son Jonathan is a movie producer and an NYU grad. The first thing that I noticed was uh, I share a phone plan with my father and I noticed that there were many charges, phone charges to China. And I think nothing of it. I'm like, oh, I guess that is reaching out to old friends or something. And a week later, my mother calls me and says, something terrible has happened to your father. You need to talk to him right away. I was at the kitchen table feeding my kids. And I get this phone call from my mother and she's frantic and she's kind I can tell like she's been crying and just super angry. And she is just saying, I can't believe this happened. Like, and she, she was just like kind of stream of consciousness speaking. And I was barely picking up what was going on. And in the end, she was just like, you need to just call your dad and, and get the facts straight. So when I call my father, he says, I just lost my life savings. I lost everything. I'm like, what does everything mean? And he tells me, I've lost a million dollars. I'm like, dad, I didn't even know you had a million dollars. You know, he's always kept his finances very close to his chest. And I probe for a little bit more details as to the who, how, where, and why's. 
and 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 yeah i i'm at the end of that call i was just so dumbfounded i was like well first thing we need to do is file a police report and start getting you know a lawyer involved like how do we sue the bank like like how could a bank let this happen how could we how do we make amends how do we like you know fix this you know that's that's what i do as a producer i'm i'm always in problem solving mode and so the first thought is always how do we fix this first jonathan encourages his dad to try to get the money back from the bank but the bank says it can't do anything then the police say there's nothing they can do Jonathan talks to a lawyer, but he's told it's too hard, too expensive to sue the bank. But there is one thing Jonathan knows he can do. So you you pursue leads that all end in dead ends, mm-hmm. and then you decide to do what with all this <sighs> research? So I decide I would never want this to happen to anyone. And so I thought maybe there's a way to get this message out in a documentary format. And at that point, I just, I also just wanted to get the facts. And I know the power of the camera. When you turn the camera onto someone, they kind of spill the beans. You know, it's, it's, it's very strange. It's like, if you, if you're, if you use a camera and you, and you put it on someone, they either forget about the camera or they, they feel like the camera is another person. And then I feel like there's a kind of a therapeutic thing that happens there. And so I decide I need to record a couple interviews. My Chinese is not the greatest. And so I reached out to my friend, uh, director, Wao Chen, and his Chinese is a lot better. He also owns a very nice camera. (laughs) And I said, would you like to take a trip to Florida to interview my father? And he's like, okay, let's do it. So we fly down to Florida and we do two back-to-back interviews with him. And then we go over to my mother's house and we do an interview with her just to get her side of the story. So your director friend, um, as you're flying back to New York, what is he saying to you? So he, <laughs> so he's saying, okay, let's make, let, let's, you know, I want to help out your dad, but I also want to make a movie. So who can we cast? to to do this there's only a handful of people and so we're like okay so it's going to be very hard to find somebody to do this role and we decide okay well let's just let's just write out an outline of what the script could be based off of the interview that we had with your father to help with the script jonathan asks his dad to write down everything he remembers saying to the criminals on the phone and something amazing happens when he sent me the written phone conversations he had, he wrote it in a screenplay format <laughs> with like block character names. And, you know, it was all spaced with dialogue. And I was like, Dad, how do you know how to write like this? How do you know how to write a screenplay? And he was like, oh, you know, when when I was younger, I, I like to write plays and, and uh, stage plays and stuff. So I, I always wanted to be like an actor or a playwright. And this kind of blew my mind because you asked me before, Bob, like, like what what was his reaction to me t- pursuing film? He didn't reveal to me at that point that he had an interest at all in it. Like I had to discover this like 20 years later that he, he actually wanted to do what I am doing right now 
<laughs> and I'm, that is wild. I'm honestly, fulfilling that's amazing. like a dream of his. <laughs> and, mm. and so to me, I'm just like, okay, well, that's a secret talent. This is perfect. So I show the screenplay to Lawrence and he's like, oh, did you write this? And I'm like, no, my dad wrote this. And that leads to another obvious question. Jonathan asks if his father will play himself in the movie. And my father thought about it for a little bit. And he was still embarrassed about everything that happened. And so he said, yeah, but, you know, let's tell it like a spy movie. Because that's what I felt like. James Bond. I felt like Jason Bourne. I felt like I was on a mission and taking these pictures and wiretapping the bank tellers. Like, we should, we should, as long as you tell it that way and not like some sad story, then yeah, let's do it. You know, I'm like. Oh my God, like, I can't believe you're so game to do this. More than game, Jerry insists the movie not be a documentary. He wants it to be a thriller. They shoot the movie as if the Chinese police are real. They recreate scene after scene. They won't tell the audience it's a scam until the end as part of a surprise reveal. But it's not easy. At the time, Jerry, whose retirement money is now gone makes the hard decision that in order to afford to retire, he has to move back to Taiwan. So they have to film Jerry in and around packing boxes and get everything on film before he leaves the country. I was flying from New York to Florida to, sh to film these scenes and to get the interviews and to help with the FBI filing and all that stuff. And in between shots, I was also like packing and helping to throw away things that were just like we didn't need anymore or I would be taking like old photo albums back up to my place in New York and it was just like a ongoing like moving <laughs> and uh, and um, filming experience. But filming the movie is more than a passion project. It takes Jerry's mind off of all that has happened. No, he, well, here's the thing. Like, I did not want him to feel stupid. He, he kept saying that on the interview. I'm so stupid. And I'm like, no, this was designed to, to happen. Like when, when a scammer hits you, like, you know, they know the, the things to say and how to, you know, handle you. And so having him write out the dialogue and having him act out the scenes he came to understand how he was manipulated. And so it was therapeutic. It was educational for him. And it was in it, it was a, the whole family got behind it. We all played ourselves uh, a version of ourselves in the film. And we got to spend a lot of time together as a family. I really think, you know, it, I, I really think God and, and, and just like all, all the, the support I had from like Lawrence, the director to, to make this thing. Cause it was so strange. Like you said, like it was a documentary, but it was also real life events. And then we're using the actual victim and subject to, to play those parts in the film. Making the film also gave Jonathan critical insights into how organized criminals work. It's kind of like they're putting on a play or acting in a movie. They had like a whole cast of characters, like a receptionist, uh, like a low-level police officer, and like an inspector, who who they were like passing the phone around to, 
in order to get his information and so that they could try to prove his innocence. And they were very convincing. I'd like that you describe it as a cast of characters. I, I have described these things before as, as like actors troops who are going around performing mm -hmm. um, for audiences and they just need to find the right audience. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're putting on a show. They have scripts too that they have to follow. And these scripts that they follow are designed to trick the human psychology. Like just like a script for a screenplay is supposed to lead you down into a story and really sympathize with the character. Jerry says making the movie really helped him. Yeah, it helped me to occupy my life, the, the last part of my life in, in America. So, and I'm glad it's become a film. And I also try to help Jonathan too, because he's... Are you 55 plus? There are many ways your community could use your help. As an AmeriCorps Seniors Volunteer, you can put your skills to work for the causes you care about, whether that's by becoming a companion for an older adult, or a foster grandparent for a child, tutoring students, joining a disaster response effort, or fulfilling another interest. Choose how, where, and when you want to volunteer, starting at just a few hours a month. This is your moment to make a positive impact on your community and get back so much more in return. Visit americourt.gov slash your moment today. That's his career. You know, so I, I I like to join together with him to to make movies, and uh, I have a new experience of playing movie because they they can cut any segment apart, and then they can edit it, put together. Were you happy with the movie when it came out? Yeah, it's over. I'm happy. It's part of my part of my 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 hobby too. I want I want to play. I want to write script and everything so the movie is now making the circuit at film festivals and well that's been a lot of fun for the whole family so the film industry is is strange the immediate thing is it has helped my father in that he's actually gotten this second life where he gets to travel to these film festivals he gets to have a platform to talk about what happened to him there's always a Q&A after these film festival screenings where he gets to speak directly to the children of seniors as well as seniors themselves and it's it's an amazing like emotional moment after the q a's we're always like in the lobby for another 30 minutes speaking to people so i think giving him a platform and not letting him just fade into retirement or into this like kind of life where where he lost everything you could easily go into self-pity and reclusion but he's actually out there and, and, and doing something. I, I think right now, just being able to be on podcasts and film festivals paying for his travel to come out and, and tell people about it, it, it's exciting to him. Some of the festivals have even paid for Jerry to fly in from Taiwan, and that, well, it brings the family together. And it makes the Q&A sessions after the screenings a whole lot of fun. What has been the best moment from the Q&A sessions after the after the, 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 the movie. <laughs> My father likes to say that he sold his body for Hollywood because there's a scene in the film where he's just sitting on the toilet with his pants on his ankles and he's 
he's like, oh my gosh, this is pornography. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, you're just sitting. He's like, but I'm showing my thighs. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, come on. And he's like, I'm doing this for you. He's like, I'm helping your career, just so you know. So, <laughs> as a the father who would yeah, do I'm sacrificing my body for you. So that brings laughs. But on a serious note, like he did, like he's, like he's, he lost everything, and he's letting me tell this story because he is, he's still playing the role of a father to support me. He's giving me his his in a sense his life savings and his life story. In order to propel my career, and to him, he's still playing the role of a father for his son. Sorry, I'm getting a little emotional, but and, and yeah. I'm going to claim allergies at this moment. I have to tell you, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Like people come out of the Q and A's laughing, or crying, or a little bit of both. Like we. We don't take ourselves too seriously, but even though the message is very serious, and uh, me and my father-in-law and my brothers, like whoever's there at the Q and A, we just we make fun of each other. We make light of it because it's such a heavy subject. But I think that actually helps get the message across that you know, as long as you're together as a family and and you support each other, you're going to be okay. The extra attention Jerry gets at the festivals, that's helped a bit too. Do you feel like a superstar when you go to these festivals and there's a movie about you? <laughs> no, no, I never think I'm a superstar. <laughs> but he is because when we went to Greece, it was so funny that we, we were just, first day we get there, we're just looking for some coffee. And a random man just says, hey, Jerry, <laughs> like out of nowhere. <laughs> and we're like, who's this guy? And he's like, I am the festival director. And your posters are everywhere. So people know you because there's not many Chinese people walking around in Thessaloniki. And so we kind of stuck out. But yeah, we were famous there for, for a whole week. <laughs> well, I hope that was fun. We were turning heads. <laughs> the movie has changed things for the whole family. The end has been a semi-sweet victory in that, yes, we're getting visibility and we're getting our message out we're getting the story out we're still living our lives and you know as a family we've never been tighter so that's a huge victory as far as like the far future for jerry's retirement like we yeah we'll have to we'll have to really pull our resources together as a family and and kind of worry a little bit more about that sorry i'm getting a little choked up here but you know, that's life, you know, it's things could change in a day. I'm just happy to have as much fun and spend as much time as possible with my dad. And, and that's all, all we can really hope for at this point. Jonathan was worried that talking with us at The Perfect Scam might hurt the film by spoiling the surprise ending, but he figured it was worth it. And that's always been like kind of our hidden sort of marketing thing, which is like we tell people it's about a spy story. And then once they're watching the movie, then they realize, oh, it's about a scam. But to me, I was like, well, we're going to reach a whole different audience of people who love scam stories. And to them, like, it doesn't spoil anything knowing that there's a scam involved. Like, the ending of the movie is something I think 
so singular about a family coming together and, and making a movie that that's not like the surprise, like that's kind of the surprise ending versus like the surprise of this is a scan. One important insight from the film, Jonathan says, Jerry was excited to be a part of the investigation to help catch a criminal and he got caught up in the drama of it all. That might be true for other victims too. Their life feels like it went, it was going on one path and then all of a sudden they get this call to action through a, through a romance scam or a wire scam or whatever it is. Like they need to save their grand, their grandson or something. And then they feel like they, they can go on this adventure or I guess like, yeah, for a second they can get out of, they're, they're being pulled out of their regular daily routine. And it, it's exciting. Yeah. It's important. They're, they're probably kind of bored and lonely, and now this is something important they're doing. Unfortunately, the movie hasn't resulted in any additional law enforcement attention. They are no closer to getting back Jerry's money or catching any criminals. But Jonathan hopes it might at least get the attention of bank officials or employees. When someone is literally funneling their life savings away, and there's no one there to stop them at all these transaction points, like maybe seven or eight different wire transfers in the course of just weeks, that this person did not stop my father nor escalate it to a manager or anything like that. And the only excuse they have is, well, it's it's the person's money. We can't stop you. And yeah, that's true. Like if I did want to wire all my money to somebody, no one should stop me, but there should be a couple more obstacles in the way of doing that. Jerry, the film star, does want people to learn a few things from the movie and from his experience. First be, look out, be alert, okay? Anytime people call you, want money, don't give money. Any Anytime you say, this is top secret, don't tell anybody, that's a scam, okay? That's one of major characters of the scammer. Don't tell anybody. When they say that, you know, this is a scam. For children, I need them to call them often. Don't say, don't just say, how are you doing? Okay. Everything okay? Okay. Okay. That's not good. You need to ask details. What happened lately? What's something new? What activities you have now? Jonathan has a similar message to share. I would love for, I would love for people who have elderly parents who have been kind of left behind with technological advances as far as like cell phones and internet and all that stuff, like to take extra care to, to train them or to just have a serious conversation about like how sophisticated, like a phone, like of these scams are getting and that someone could just call or send an email And you would think it was completely innocent when there are devious sort of intentions behind them. And to just be suspect of strangers, I think, like at that, you know, and it doesn't just apply to elders, it applies to everyone, I guess, in a sense that like, you know, just be just be suspicious nowadays with with how much of your personal information is out there on the web. Like one of the big reasons they were able to hook Jerry was they knew his address. Jerry is philosophical about everything and really likes the extended film metaphor. Jerry, you said earlier that 
you've decided life is like a movie, right? Yeah. Uh, have you always been this philosophical? <laughs> now, because I, I see people in the life, they change, you know, they change, when they change the role, they change the job, they change the role, they become father, become grandfather, the role changed, you know, the lives keep going on. And uh, you cannot say I'm a certain person forever. You know, you you always, uh, it's like you play a role in a movie. So that's what I'm thinking. The making of Jerry, starring as himself, is a happy ending. And I promise the movie will make you cry first and then smile later. But let's not sugarcoat the real life story. Jerry's life has been forever changed by this crime. I don't want to give people the wrong impression that there's a happy, fully happy ending here. Your father had to had to leave the country over this, right? Yeah. So so uh, Jerry has to live in Taiwan now because it's just too expensive for him to live in America. And he's also he his his eventual retirement plan was to move back to Taiwan at some point. That is where he wanted to live and retire to but his retirement was cut short like he didn't have any time to spend with his grandkids more time in america he wanted to travel around in a in a winnebago and do some cross country like you know road tripping but all of that got cut away and now he is in taiwan but he's he's on the other side of the world from his family like when we call him there's only two hours in the day that we could call him between like 9 a.m. and 9 p and 10 p.m. or 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. or 9 p.m. and 10. So so it's like we have limited time to connect with each other. He doesn't get to see his grand grandchildren grow up the way he wanted to. And the whole safety issue of like what what if something were to happen to my father in Taiwan? Who's gonna drop everything to fly across the world to to help? And would we would we get there in time, you know? So those are real concerns that we still are battling with. Still, the family has entered a new phase of life. Uh, yeah, Dad, you're my hero, and I I'm proud that I get to share your story to other people. So I think this whole story has obviously changed everything about your life but at the same time it hasn't because you're still you you're still the consistent father that i've known my whole life <laughs> and that's reassuring thank you uh actually you, you talk about sat you know i i look back at my life something you know like like a like a project due day not done yet and i'm so worried now I look back and say, why are you so worried at time? It's all be gone. Maybe everything will be over. That's that's my philosophy now. Everything will be over. But the fun from the movie? Well, that's not over yet. Oh, by the way. Yeah, by the way, please. I, I, I wing another best actor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just, like two weeks ago, we were in Spain for this film festival called Cinema Jove. And again, he got best actor. Which is so strange because it's like, this is a documentary. <laughs> and I'm thinking of all the actors who spend years on their craft to be mm. an actor. And then this guy, Jerry, just walks on in and takes that award. You know, 
never acted on film before in his life and, and he's winning best actor at film festival it's fantastic it's just which great. is a testament not only to his ability but also how the story is told in such a way that people can't really discern like was that real or not because mm -hmm. i think he was an amazing actor and it's like no that was my dad <laughs> We wanted to talk to someone who understands the unique problems that minorities face when dealing with criminals like this, and particularly members of the Asian community. So we called on Alan Lai, a victim advocate from Seattle who's worked in law enforcement, helping crime victims for several decades. What does a victim advocate do? As a victim advocate, I work with the crime victims, uh, work with the detective or in federal cases I work with the special agents uh, I find out what they need some sometimes they may be sustaining physical injury sometimes uh, monetary injury or damage and then psychological impact uh, help to counsel them and then uh, refer them to if they need in-depth counseling psychological support and I refer them to the professional counselors and then on the other hand I tell them their rights as uh, crime victims and then I work with them and also the criminal justice system very closely. Jerry's story was all too familiar to Alan. Actually like when I got the story uh, it, I was going like oh here we go again because I, I had cases that was kind of 80 percent 90 percent like that the bad guys somehow, these days it's not too hard to get uh, someone's personal information. Minorities face special challenges when dealing with these kinds of crimes, he said. I'm minority. I specialize in working with minority victims. And many of them don't understand the system in America. And they, they feel like, particularly the Asian clients, they feel like, oh, I already called 911. You catch the guy, is that me? Why do you need me to come to talk to the defense attorney? Why do you need me to come to court to testify? So that's another hard part of the job. Chinese was originally, a long time ago, was an agricultural society. So it's you farm your land, you mind your own business, then you don't have to deal with the government. Except, of course, you pay your tax too in those days then you don't have to deal with the government. If the government is looking for you, that means trouble. So they they don't like to deal with the government. If you're a, a law-abiding citizen, the government would not be looking for you. But if the government looks for you, then that, that means trouble. And and they, they, they don't like it. They And then they also, the other thing they worry about, talking about the, uh, the resistance to cooperate with the uh, system is they they are also afraid of uh, retaliation because back home a lot of the crimes are, are committed by the organized uh, criminals and they worry about if I testify what if they come and get me after they get out of jail or even when they are in jail they send their uh, subordinates to to get me in trouble so they, they a lot of time it's just too much to worry and um, also, in China, maybe there may be more corruption, you know, money 
can buy you into a lot of the system and they, they worry about those things happening in America. And there are specific reasons for Asian immigrants to worry. In China, they have video camera everywhere, every corner of this, every street, right? So it's relatively easy to, to catch the bad guys when they uh, decided to catch the bad guys. And, and, and also, the government is quite powerful and, and, and they, they, they can arrest people, detain them without informing the family members. The respect of human rights is not nearly as clear as in the America. And so people are fearful. People can disappear from this universe without too many people knowing or without too many channels to fight it. Of course, technology makes it easier for criminals to pretend to be government officials, like the Shanghai police. These bad guys can easily make fraudulent warrants. They even made out made up warrants from the Shanghai court. They then they have um, interpolice officers calling the victim, sending Jane Doe a picture of the Interpol ID. So it, it sounded quite real. And then in the case that I work on, the victim was from Hong Kong and they, besides making warrants from ports in China, they also made warrants from Hong Kong. Hong Kong, there is an agency called ICAC, Independent Commission Against Corruption. Uh, which is very well known in the Chinese community. They would tell them this is international crime and the government is trying to really try to nail them. And then they, you need to prove your innocence. Also, as we heard in Jerry's story, proving innocence is very important. They don't want their name to be taunted. Once a name is taunted, it's, you, you will have a hard time getting into a lot of things like uh, government jobs or in the future, uh, financial development, uh, all those things. So the Chinese really uh, want to protect the name uh, big time. It's not only just affecting yourself, you are affecting your whole branch family, the, 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 the nuclear family. In the old days, it, it does affect your, your children, your father, your mother. It's in the days back to the emperors. So if you commit a crime, which is a, a heinous crime, the, the the emperor would go after you and they'll kill all three generations or the all your clans, all the people from your village. A lot of the Asians are really protective of their reputation. So there are plenty of ways to trigger fear in a potential victim. Yeah, the fear kicks in. Once the fear kicks in, the, the rest is quite easy. And then, of course, in Jerry's story, they will keep in touch with him every two, three hours to make sure the pressure's on, to make sure the fear gets worse, and also to make sure Jerry is not getting in touch with trusted family members, not seeking help from the police, not seeking help from, from authorities. Alan's most important advice? have a trusted network. I think the, the best advice is that for any audience who are listening now is like you, we all have our uh, safety network. Think about who in your in your family, who among your friend circles, who are the, 
the most trustworthy people. You you need to, to have a, a list of people. And then if, if something happens, should doubt set in, talk to those people, talk to your loved one, talk to those, you know, friends who you can really trust and friends who are more knowledgeable than the others. And so you, you need to plan for the worst, say, in case some fear kicks in. I think it's a great idea to almost rehearse a scenario like this, you know, during normal times when you're not agitated or upset. I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, thank you. I think it's like we need to have our tools, and but we need to kind of think about it, rehearse it, at least in our mind, and then call for help, you know, because looking back at uh, Jerry's story, you know, it's like they keep adding the pressure on. They did not leave him alone. He has to call them or they would call him every other hour or even every hour to get them to uh, wire their money, take money from the bank. If you have been targeted by a scam or fraud, you are not alone. Call the AARP Fraud Watch Network Helpline at 877-908-3360. Their trained fraud specialists can provide you with free support and guidance on what to do next. Our email address at The Perfect Scam is theperfectscampodcast at aarp.org. And we want to hear from you. If you've been the victim of a scam or you know someone who has, and you'd like us to tell their story, write to us or just send us some feedback. That address again is the perfect scam podcast at aarp.org. Thank you to our team of scam busters, associate producer Annalie Embry, researcher Sarah Binney, executive producer Julie Getz, and our audio engineer and sound designer, Julio Gonzalez. Be sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For AARP's The Perfect Scam, I'm Bob Sullivan.